Shalom, shalom. My name is Hasa Sarat, and I'm your RB therapist. And today on Therapy Tuesday, we will be taking a break from the Becoming Unstuck series to discuss a very important topic, men's mental health. June is Men's Mental Health Month, and it's important that we dedicate time to shedding some light on this oftentimes overlooked aspect of well-being. Now, let me say that mental health impacts everyone, regardless of race, gender, or economic status. But there are unique challenges that men face. Today, we're going to open up that discussion break down some stigmas, and explore ways to support or better support men's mental health. So joining me for this discussion is a very special guest, Hanuk Nasia. Professionally known as Chauncey Bray, Hanuk Nasia is a military veteran of the elite U.S. Army Special Forces. He served 16 years in the Army, and 14 of which was with Special Forces, conducting 10 combat deployments in the Middle East. He has extensive leadership experience and is currently the owner of Infinite Ascensions Counseling, which is a life-altering, confidence-building, militant personal development program. Hanuk works with clients who struggle with redefining themselves, and he helps them to unlock their highest potential through goal setting, accountability, and guidance. He is a humble wealth of knowledge, eager to encourage others in their path towards ascension. Please welcome with me today, Hanuk Nasia. Shalom, shalom. What's going on? Thank you for having me today. Thank you for joining me. I know you have a lot going on, so I definitely appreciate your time. So look, I didn't just choose you because you're my ish, all right? But because of the fact that you do have extensive um, experience with counseling, um, uh, male soldiers for one, but then also your experience of working with prisoners as well. And so I believe that you will definitely provide us with a lot of insight and information that can help us to better serve the male population when it comes to men's mental health. So let's let's get started. You ready? I'm ready. Let's do it. All right. <laughs> okay, so the first question I have for you is this. In your personal experience and through observation, do you believe that men are socialized to not seek help? And let me say this first. The reason why I'm asking this question is because of the fact that various studies have found that women are about two to three times more likely to seek mental health services versus men. And so you know me, I'm not like a just know what what's going on but why right and so my question is again 
do you believe that men are socialized to not seek help and when it when they do that is oftentimes met with criticism feel free to provide some examples as well so absolutely um societal expectations they often discourage men from seeking help for their mental health challenges you know men oftentimes are socialized to believe that showing uh, vulnerability or asking for any type of support is a sign of weakness. You know, and this can have a significant impact on you know a man's mental health, um, mostly because it creates a barrier uh, to seeking the help that they need or seeking help when support is needed. Uh, men may feel you know the need to suppress their emotions suppress them and keep them down and you know try to help handle everything on their, their own um and this can lead to increased uh stress and difficulties in you know coping or dealing with you know their own mental health issues got you and in your experience with working with uh um soldiers what was that like for you? Uh, do you find that you had to break through barriers of resistance and also even reluctance towards the treatment process? What was that like for you? Oh, you know, absolutely. I've worked with soldiers and counseled soldiers for a long time. And uh, once I uh, once I ascended to a certain level in the military, um, the counseling sessions went from more uh, just, you know, uh, work and uh went from more you know the gym counseling them about their their uh, work ethic and things on the job to more their personal life and actually mental health issues um so working with you know clients in the military as well as in correctional facilities um they all presented unique challenges uh, most of my clients both soldiers and prisoners um initially they they showed and exhibited resistance and you know even reluctance towards any type of treatment process. Um, can I, can I in ask order you to quick, break through uh, these barriers. What was some, yeah. Let me ask you real quick. What were some of the ways that resistance was shown in your opinion? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, some of the ways resistance was shown, um, for example, with my soldiers, uh, I would, you know, have to come, I would come to them and, you know, explain, you know, hey, this is what's going on. This is why I think you need help and um there's there's you know kind of some unwritten rules you know or unspoken rules even in the military when it came to mental health or seeking you know assistance with mental health and uh initially it was hey man i don't want to lose my job hey i don't want to be set down i don't want to be put on the sideline i want to continue to work because we really took pride in the work that we did and mental health issues or seeking assistance with mental health seemed like it was viewed as a, a weakness, a weakness um, for that individual. And for individuals with A-type personalities, um, go-getters, you know, any type of weakness, you know, was avoided at all costs. So that was, you know, some of the ways that they would, you know, show reluctance towards the treatment process. Um, but let me uh, you know, jump in. let me jump in real quick. I had to babe. break through these barriers. Oh, oh yeah, ahead, tell me how. Tell me how. 
Oh, no, really quick. I was going to ask you, um, no, finish your question. I'll jump in. Go ahead, finish. How do you break through those barriers? Go ahead. Okay. All right. So, you know, to break through these barriers, um, you know, I had to focus on you know, building rapport and building trust with each individual. You know, once I established a safe place and, you know, kind of a non-judgmental environment, it's like, hey, I'm not holding this against you. I'm not, you know, going to mark this down as, you know, a negative, you know, counseling because you tell me you need assistance or help. Once I established that and kind of normalize the, uh, you know, uh, help seeking, you know, environment, um, you know, they were more likely to, you know, to, you know, come to me with their issues and receive the tools that I had to provide, you know, I had to offer. Um, I would show empathy towards them and provide education on, you know, mental health and, you know, the mental health tools. And then I'll, ultimately I would, you know, show the positive outcomes of seeking that assistance. I would show them, hey, because you did this, this was the result. And, you know, we can continue to have positive results if you continue down this road. Um, and ultimately, they will feel comfortable opening up and engaging in the process. Absolutely. So my question I was going to ask you, too, thank you for sharing, babe, was this. So I do work with some male clients. And so you mentioned the word like weakness, right? Certain terms can, you know, be looked at as a weakness, right? So I try not to use certain things like you need help or, or assistance. I try to use, utilize different terms when working with clients. Is that something you recommend? Is that something that you think is a, a good approach to take? Um, just because it is so hard for many to seek services? Yeah, absolutely. You know, uh, like I said, my background weakness was not something that, you know, anyone wanted to be associated with, you know. So one thing I do is I, I often, you know, talk about my background, very transparent, you know, and I tell them about all that I did in the past and, um, you know, that kind of creates a sense of, you know, reliability and, you know, empathy. They would say, man, like he went through all this stuff and he still sought help when he needed. You know, I would do that by sharing my experiences and challenges. Um, and then what they would do is it would reduce the shame around, you know, mental health issues. So I would never call it a weakness. You know, I, I talk about this on my uh, podcast. You know, we all have... Uh, strengths and struggles there's no such thing as weaknesses you know we call them strengths and struggles and the things that are our strengths you know we we recognize them as strengths the things that are our struggles we recognize them as such and we do what we can to build those build upon those and make them stronger they may never become a strength but they will not become a weakness so by doing that you know that. you know i think it's i think it's crucial for therapy, especially with uh, with male clients. I love that. So no weaknesses, just some struggles, no weaknesses. So I noticed that transparency is one of your uh, key aspects, one of the key aspects of your, your counseling style. Why did you choose this approach and how does it assist with the treatment process? Yeah, no, man, transparency is a powerful approach in therapy because it, in my uh, experience, it breaks down barriers quicker than just about anything else. Um, when you talk about your own personal experiences, when you discuss your own 
individual challenges, things that you had to deal with. When I talk about things that I had to deal with in the midst of being, you know, in the military, but not just in the military, special forces operator, but not just a special forces operator, you know, conducting a number of, you know, 11 combat deployments and, you know, in the midst of all of that stuff, leading men in the battle, uh, you know, saving lives and, you know, and even at times taking lives. Um, in the midst of all that, dealing with mental health issues. And then after that, dealing with mental health issues, I would discuss that and, you know, try to build a sense of relatability, but also, also in addition to relatability, I would also attempt to build a an environment where it's like, man, he did a lot and he experienced a lot. So, you know, I, if he shared all that with me, I should be able to share my stuff with him. And it just opens up the, the one, the doorway, you know, for conversation. And once that doorway is open, then we can deal with a lot of the issues that exist. Powerful. So speaking of transparency, would you mind kind of sharing some of your own personal experiences with mental health recovery and some of the challenges that you had to overcome in order to reach a place of, of healing and recovery? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, so initially upon leaving the military, you know, I, I struggled with uh, PTSD, so post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, I didn't want to seek assistance in the area initially because I knew that it meant that I would have to address specific traumas that I experienced. And I didn't want to talk about them. Like I was done with them. I didn't want to talk about them. So avoidance was the name of the game for me. Um, I avoided the conversation. I avoided, you know, the sites. I avoided anything that looked like it. You know, in addition to that, you know, working with, you know, uh, VA uh, medical health or mental health facilities, excuse me, um, you know, they, they had a real bad reputation. So I was like, man, I'm already dealing with this stuff. I don't want to work with someone who's, you know, already who's going to make me even worse or put me in a worse position. So um, those different, you know, uh, uh, stigmas, I guess, you know, I, I didn't want to deal with them. And, you know, I, I struggled with the mindset. This was probably my greatest struggle. I struggled with the mindset that, you know, this is my life now. And I got to learn how to deal with it instead of cope with it. And you know, talk about this a little mm. bit, you know, um, it put me in survival mode. You know, I was mm. stuck in survival mode and I didn't over, wasn't seeking initially to overcome my struggles. Wow. So initially you felt like it was like a, the state that you had to bear. Is it something that you just had to carry? Right, right. You know, I, I decided on my own without you know, talking to my Isha, my beautiful wife, you know, about it. I decided on my own without, you know, really even praying about it. I decided on my own without talking to anyone about it that I would carry this by myself. This was my stake that I would carry. And if anyone was going to be able to carry it, it was be me. Because this is just my life and it's mine to, to bear. Um, and what I ended up doing was preventing uh, preventing my ability to overcome at a quicker rate. I strengthened, you know, or I would say I, I made the weight heavier by carrying it for longer. You know, and then, you, you know, mm. when we work out together, 
Um, the longer you work out with a specific workout, uh, eventually it gets heavier and heavier. No matter what the weight is you start at, it'll get heavier the more you carry it or the longer you carry it. And that's what we do with our traumas. If we don't deal with them, we'll carry them longer and longer, and that weight gets heavier and heavier. And that's what I did. That's an awesome metaphor. So next question is, um, it, so it's clear that mental health disorders affect a significant number of men. In fact, depression and anxiety are two of the most common mental health disorders among men. Additionally, I read in the Men's Health Journal that men are less likely than women to be diagnosed with any of the most common health disorders. And those who have received a diagnosis are less likely to seek treatment. Yet, even with that, nearly four times as many men as women die by suicidal related um, by suicide and is related to mental health conditions. Can you share some light on these um, statistics and why do you believe that men are less likely to seek diagnoses and treatment? Yeah, yeah. I mean, the statistics that you that you just uh, mentioned, they highlight the uh, the prevalence of, you know, common mental health disorders in men, you know, however, men are less likely to seek diagnosis and treatment, you know, because of a number of reasons, a number of reasons, you know, um, as I mentioned earlier, you know, societal expectations, you know, different stigmas, but also, you know, a tendency to downplay or mask their symptoms. So if I know that, you know, initial for myself, you know, when I first began to understand, like, man, I may have a, I may be struggling with PTSD, what I initially tried to do is mask those symptoms or downplay them. You know, that's the avoidance, you know, that I was uh, kind of conducting at that time. Uh, and that's what men many times would do. Um, and it's crucial to raise, raise awareness, you know, about the disorders and about the symptoms and about the signs, you know, um, and then the attempt to encourage men to seek the assistance when they need it. You know, if we provide accessible mental health resources and promote open discussions, I believe it can make a significant difference in addressing men's health challenges. Now, you know, understanding that um, that those, those uh, statistical differences, you know, are uh, prevalent you know, because of those those stigmas, because of those, you know, expectations that society puts on us and that we put on ourselves, um, we they can be decreased by providing the resources and having those discussions. You know, I think they can make a huge difference. But do you think that there currently is like enough societal sympathy towards men when it comes to like? some of their mental health challenges? Well, <laughs> yeah, you know, societal sympathy towards men with uh, mental challenges can, you know, it can vary depending on, you know, your cultural and social factors. You know, for example, as a member of the military, you know, especially the military's elite, there was very little sympathy 
towards someone seeking help. You need help, you're probably dehydrated. Go drink some water. You know, that's all it was. Drink water, drive on, and you'll get over it. Um, similarly, culturally, mm. um, you know, no one had time to deal with your mental health issues. You know, it was simply, you know, a demon that needed to be cast out or it was just an excuse for not working hard enough. Either way, figure it out on your own. You know, so you know, while progress has been made in reducing the stigmas and you know, increasing awareness, um, there may be still some societal expectations that men should be strong, self-reliant, and most importantly, emotionally resilient. These are the you know, expectations that are placed on men that we have to address now because these can, can, can create barriers for men in seeking help and receiving the understanding and support they need. So it's important to work towards, you know, a society that encourages the open dialogue and, you know, support for mental, for mental health in men. Um, and, you know, lastly, we have to ensure we created an environment where seeking help is seen as a sign of strength as opposed to a sign of weakness. Now, I know I asked you about your, your military history or your counseling history in the military, but I want us to kind of now shift gears, look at your experiences with in prison, right? Because you talk about the importance of having these uh, services be accessible, right, to, um, to men. Um, so you are a prison counselor, right? So mental health services were provided, um, you know, in, in the, well, where you worked at, right? <laughs> and so my question is, um, well, I'll give you my, my experience, okay? I, I know that working in the, the school system, um, it's, it's still kind of stigmatized bringing uh, mental health services to the school system, right? And so although it is uh, implemented, when I was going, when I was working in the schools, I feel like it wasn't really taken, it wasn't a high priority. And the reason why is because they kind of had me relegated to like the multi-purpose room, which is like a closet. And we had limited resources and things to work with the children. And so we, I made it work, you know, I'm creative, right? But it kind of gave the children the message that their mental health wasn't really a priority. It wasn't taken seriously. And it's really hard for them to really focus in, in that in that room, right? And so my question is, when it came to like working with the in the male prisons, do you feel like the, uh, those who you work with or the system treated mental health as a priority or was it kind of like just a something that's kind of thrown together and just given offer to the men that you work with? That makes sense? Yeah, yeah, it makes sense. I understand. Um, okay. Honestly, the treatment of individuals in prison or in the prison system, I should say, was more similar to the treatment of individuals in the military than I expected. You know, due to a small amount of individuals who would attempt to take advantage of the system, there was a lack of urgency towards individuals with the, with mental health issues, you know, unless shown as extremely severe. So in prison, similar to combat, it's, it's all, all about survival. So men are less likely to treat, to seek treatment in an effort to, you know, not ruffle as many feathers, you know, as possible while incarcerated. So they would try to be the gray man. The easiest way to be the gray man is to just be quiet and go finish out your time. Um, but what ends up happening is you have a lot of individuals 
who, you know, they, they, they struggle with different, you know, mental health issues and um, in an attempt to just get those guys in there and get them out, uh, those issues are not often addressed. So, you know, that's why I connected with so many of my clients um, because I understood immediately their position and I could read between the lines and discern, you know, between those who needed help and those who would try to take advantage of the uh, system or situation. Mm -hmm. So, you know, sadly, you know, everyone's not capable of telling the difference. So many don't receive the support they need as a result. Got you, got you. So how can men even begin to recover mentally in this system that's not really geared towards helping them? What are some tips that you have to, you know, encourage so, men to get the ball rolling? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, on the road to recovery, uh, the first step is, you know, acknowledgement that the condition exists and that additional support is needed. You know, so, you know, this system has made strides, especially in recent history. However, the, you know, stigmatisms that you know, remain, you know, they continue to remain as barriers. Um, it's imperative to make seeking, you know, support normal and encourage. I think this is probably the most important one, you know, as I'm even thinking about it now, encouraging those who, you know, in our community who, ha who have sought support in the past, encourage them to speak out about the help that they receive and that was provided to them. You know, there are tons of strong men who have benefited from mental health assistance and tools. And if they were to come forward and explain why and how it improved their lives, it will potentially decrease or ultimately dissolve the, you know, associated negative perceptions within our communities. Mm. Awesome. Do you also think, too, in addition to more men being um, vocal, do you think that it would also be helpful for more men to get into the into the field of mental health? I remember my uh, experience working in the schools. I mean, I'm going to college. We only had about one male every semester out of like 20 plus females. Right. Do you think that also men getting more involved in that and the system can uh, help with that process as well? Absolutely. Absolutely. While working in the uh, prison system, um, worked at an all-male, you know, facility, and I was one of three men on our staff, and our staff was a staff of 16. So three men, 13 women, and the clients would say to me constantly, every single day, and we need more men. They would say we need more men like you, but they would say we need more men, period, because mm. it's difficult for us to connect with these women. You know, it's difficult for us to connect with women, you know, and it's for a number of different reasons. Some of them may be trauma induced. Some of them may be, you know, due to crimes they conducted or or, you know, due to different situations in their in their past and things like that. However, 
um, the fact remained that there was very there was only three men in the whole facility. You know, facility of over mm. you know four hundred men. There was only three that were there to help them. Wow. Um, so, wow. you know, the three of us, we, I mean, we had the largest, uh, uh, client packets. Um, we had the, the most clients, I should say, um, I, w- I would go and speak to, you know, uh, a bay or a room of 60 something individuals at a time, speak to them for six hours at a time, you know, just to, you know, three hours in a, you know, one hour break and three more hours just because they desire to speak to the men or hear from the men or learn from the men. So that is one thing that we are definitely uh, suffering from um, is a lack of a male presence in this specific field. Yeah. I think it would Mental health you know, providers. greatly increase. Right. Mental health providers, mm-hmm. um, therapists, uh, you know, uh, psychologists, you know, and so Life on. Life coach. Um, it would greatly increase. <laughs> Um, life coaches, right? <laughs> One of the reasons why I decided to be a, become a life coach was uh, I saw this need, you know, while mm. I was working in the prison system. I was like, man, where in the world? But I couldn't, you know, due to different, um, uh, you know, standards in the in the prison system, I couldn't meet with enough of them, you know. And then when they would leave, they had no one to go to when they would get, you know, released and so mm. on and so forth. You know, I didn't exist on the outside and I couldn't go and connect with them. So I, you know, created this business to go out and, you know, that's one of the the client bases that we work with is, you know, recently released, um, you know, inmates. And, you know, we provide them the same assistance that they were getting on the inside. That's phenomenal. Okay. Okay. A few more questions. Okay. Guys, a couple more minutes for me. A couple more. Gotcha. All right. Okay. Okay. So I do want to ask you. Um, okay. I'm going to ask this part first. Um, how can fathers, because you mentioned the importance of, of men, like role models, men presence, right? Um, how can fathers help to break the, the stigmas for the next generation? Um. How can fathers break the stigmas for the next generation? Um, so I think that, uh, you know, it's important for for young men to, you know, understand, you know, it's important for young men to understand that, uh, that a father is important again or that a male role model is important. You know, um, one of the largest issues that, you know, we have in, in our community and that exists in, you know, most communities, honestly, is the lack of father figures, you know, and, you know, Western society um, or Western societal families, I should say. So um, one way that fathers can break those stigmas, number one, is by seeking the help themselves for the issues that they have, you know, and then once they seek the help that they need, encourage those in the next generation to seek assistance as well. You know, if fathers can show strength through assistance, then they can encourage the next generation to show the same strength by seeking the same assistance or more when it's needed. 
do you think also too, like you said, that availability? Like I see with you with our our sons and how they they go to you when they're dealing with different struggles, when they're struggling with maybe they're emo- regulating their emotions, when they're concerned, when they have fears. They they talk to you about that and you listen, you validate, right? You don't make them feel guilty or shame. Right. You allow them to have feelings and emotions, but then you also like give them strategies and tools on how to make it through. So can you kind of elaborate a little bit on that too? Because I love your approach when it comes to working with our own children. Yeah, one thing that I understand is that many times um, young men grow up with so many uh, internalized feelings, emotions, conditions, because the father wasn't there for them to speak to about it. So whenever an issue arises, the first thing I do is hear them out. You know, I hear what they believe is going on, you know, why they believe it's happening, and, you know, what what are their feelings as a result of it. You know, um, what this does is it prevents them from growing their whole lives with unanswered questions, you know? And once I hear them out and I, you know, hear everything they say, then I Mm. offer that advice that they need. You know, by offering that advice, um, you immediately, you know, get rid of any stigmas that society may attach to it. Because now the, you know, primary role model that I have as a young man, being that father in my home, uh, he just showed me, you know, that, hey, these stigmas don't exist. This is okay. You know, so it it allows them to have, you know, answers to those tests that they may face in lives before they get there. Um, but I, I believe that's one of the reasons why it's so necessary to hear them out, to speak to them about it, and to help them to grow. It's because, you know, if you don't, then society's waiting out there with their own version of how a young man should deal with these issues and it may not be mm. uh, many times the best course of action for them wow i think i don't know if you already hit on this question before you may have already hit on this question but i'll just ask it again and feel free to summarize if you want but i i, I find that you know um when it comes to like the school system about like three quarters of, of teachers are are women right um, so you notice like this disparity in the schools, right? Um, also too, when it comes to single parent mm-hmm. households, about 80% of single parent households are um, headed by single mothers, right? And again, back to what I mentioned about the um, therapists, right? Those who are in the mental health field, um, that is 74% of females, right? And so as you can see, you have where these young men, right? Are navigating the system where they're, you know, they're um they're females in the home right in the schools and even if they seek services chances are they'll be uh, working with um a woman right and so do you mind kind of giving some um just us as you know the women give us some advice and working with our, our our children right what are some things that you recommend when it comes to um assisting our our young males with regulating their emotions or or men yeah, no, I think it's a great question. Uh, one thing that's missing is, uh, you know, that desire to hear, you know, from a, you know, uh, a male role model, like, hey, you know, what can I do to help them if you're not here? You know, so um, 
a woman can help the mental well-being of a young man by presenting examples of successful men who have overcome mental health struggles. You know, if we're talking specifically in the mental health arena, uh, a woman doesn't need to teach, you know, the young man how to overcome. No, she needs to provide the tools necessary, just like you would as an, you know, an adult therapist speaking to another adult, you know, male client um, for the teachers, the facilitators with, you know, young men um, that they're focused on, that they're working with. Um, they ha- they just need to simply provide the tools necessary um, for them to overcome and show how men have utilized these tools in the past to build and grow a successful lifestyle. And by, you know, conducting these specific actions, I believe that, you know, it would be very beneficial in, you know, the mental health and the overall, you know, lifestyle of, of that young man that's being assisted. So I know they have a turn on that's like cultural competence, but do you think it's also important to have like just develop that gender competence as well <laughs> and be mindful of that as, as well? Right, right. Awesome. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you. so last thing. Oh, go ahead. You gonna answer me? Go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, no, I, I was just going to say, like we spoke about earlier, you know, um, certain things that we don't say to each other as men, you know, it's not because we're weak. We just have an understanding that, hey, you know, we don't talk about weaknesses, but we may talk about struggles. So then we'll address that as a struggle. You know, that, that all comes with, you know, gender competence, you know, and understanding, you know, allowing men to be men um, and speaking to them as such with a system in growing and overcoming in their lives. Awesome. Perfect. And this is my last question. All right. So my babe has been in the military for 15 plus years, right? So he has an acronym for everything and it's impressive. And so I do want to ask you, if you don't mind, can you uh, leave our listeners with a, a tip that they can use to begin their mental health recovery, if you don't mind? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, I'll give I'll give a tip and then I'll give an acronym after that. That if that works. So, um, the tip that I'll give, uh, you know, one thing that we that I've discussed on you know my podcast, um, talking about you know um, authenticity. You know, what it means to you know, have an authentic identity and what it means to be an authentic leader, you know. So I use the example of Superman, you know, Superman's authentic identity. You know, who was he truly? Was he was he Clark Kent? Was he, you know, Clark Kent, the human newspaper journalist, you know, who wore glasses because he couldn't see well? You know, was he Superman? Was he the hero who flew around in tights? you know, faster than a speeding bullet, more powerful than a locomotive, you know, or was he Kal-El, the alien, sent here on a ship from a dying planet by his parents who sacrificed everything just to save him, you know, what's important to note here is that here we have three men with three different lives and three different stories, but they're all being Mm. lived by one individual, 
Why? Because wow. this one individual is attempting to live up to the societal expectations that are causing him to constantly change his identity. Constantly change. And the more he changes his identity, the less authentic he becomes. Being an authentic wow. individual requires a man to fully embrace the uniqueness of himself, whether society accepts him or not. You know, and this includes understanding our strengths as well as our struggles. And if we have that mindset, then we can go through, you know, and understand, identify our struggles in the mental health arena and not see it as, you know, another mask that we're putting on, but see it more as a part of who I am and a part of who, you know, what I want society to help me to become. Um, and then, you know, as far as a, an acronym, you know, so since I see, you know, most men struggle with, you know, anger management. And while that may not be the mental health struggle for them, the overall mental health struggle, it's often, it's often the uh, concealment which prevents, you know, exploration into the actual area of need. So, you know, we'll deal with that. So I use this struggle L-P-T-R, L-P-T-R, and it stands for listen, pause, think and respond and you know what it is is when something happens when an activating uh event occurs the first thing you're doing is listening you're listening to you know the voice inside you're listening to you know everything that's happening around you you're asking yourself like all right you know did i hear what i just believe i heard or did i see what i just think i saw you know you're having that internal conversation that's the listen portion and then you pause. You don't listen and respond. You pause for a moment and you understand what's happening. You become, you know, uh, one in that moment. All right. So you calm yourself down. You breathe. And then you think about it. All right. What does this response require? All right. You don't go to Burger King and spend $20, you know what I'm saying, for a $1 cheeseburger, you know, or $1.29 cheeseburger. That's not what it costs. <laughs> That's not the response that it requires. So you think about it. What does this response require me to pay? All right. And then once you mm -hmm. identify what that response requires, you respond. All right. So listen, pause, think, respond. And this will assist individuals to slow their response mechanism and provide a reasonable reaction to situations, ultimately allowing us to identify the actual areas of need. LTPR. LTPR. Thank you so much for your time. So, babe, you want to kind of do a plug for Infinite Ascensions real quick? Absolutely. Absolutely. So, Infinite Ascension is, you know, life altering, you know, militant approach that we take to, uh, to life coaching and, you know, counseling services. Um, right now, we are continuing our, our building and growth process. We have our uh, website online at infiniteascension.org. Um, if you go on there, we have a couple of programs that you can sign up for. And if you're not sure what area you may need help in, um, we have a free, you know, 15 minute consultation. You can schedule yourself and uh, it'll notify us, myself or my beautiful Isha. And, you know, we'll link up with you and identify how we can help you and where we can go. Um, in addition to that, we have, you know, veteran 
programs. We have, you know, uh, relationship counseling um, or relationship coaching and um, and then a couple of other uh, coaching programs that we have. Um, but again, if you don't think that any of that fits your bill and you just you see where you are and you have a desire to ascend to a greater level of you then give us a, a, a call or email us or connect with us on the website at infiniteascension.org. We will connect you to your higher level of you. There is a higher level of you that exists. And our desire at Infinite Ascension is to build you and grow you to become the greatest you that your life deserves. Yes. Become the main character of your life. I love one of your one of your quotes. Becoming your main <laughs> character. So also, too, on yeah. Tuesdays, um, he also had this um, Infinite Ascension's podcast. And you can find that on various platforms, Spotify. Keep it, come on, keep it going. What else you got? Uh, iTunes, iHeartRadio. You can ask, yeah, TikTok. You can ask Alexa. She'll hook you up. Um, and we're also <laughs> uh, coming out with our um, our store under Infinite Ascension. It's yes. called Gear to Grow. Gear to Grow. Gear to Grow. Um, and yes. that's we're we're building out that store now. Um, some you know personally made items. Um, where you can go on Etsy, Gear to Grow. It's our store on Etsy, and you can find some clothes, you can find some shoes, you can find some flip-flops, you can find some journals, um, things like that. And uh, and lastly, we have a couple of uh, uh, of uh, uh, books and programs that we're working on that we're going to make available for, for purchase. So, you know, we have a lot of things that we're working on, a lot of things we're building, and some of it is available right now. So, you know, don't wait. And get in line. Go ahead and be at the front. Get it now. Get it now. So that with that being said, that concludes our today's discussion um, for Therapy Tuesday. Remember that mental health is not bound by gender. And it's crucial to encourage open discussions, support one another, and also seek help when needed. And so please, if you have any questions, put it in the comment section. I'll definitely forward it over to Hanuk Nasia. <laughs> And um, also with that being said, I'm looking forward to next Tuesday when we continue our Becoming Unstuck series. And so with that being said, my name is Hassan Sarak. I'm your RV therapist. I'm here with Hanuk Nasia, the founder of Infinite Ascensions. And with that being said, shalom, shalom. <laughs> Thank you for your time. Shalom. <laughs>